Good morning. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> I'm get him on. Well, I'm paying him to do that. Really, y'all got y'all don't know that. But um, this is uh, this is the fourth week of breaking through of, of this series. And so, those of you who have been patiently waiting for me to be done um, and Chris to come back, your time is almost here. Congratulations. Um, and uh, I'll be. Uh, this is my last week getting to hang out with you guys. And Chris will be back up here next week, starting an awesome series called More. Uh, but it's been a privilege and an honor to hang out with you guys. I always count it an honor to get to share uh, my heart and what God's doing in my life uh, with you guys. Um, uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the family pastors. Or I'm not, I am the family pastor. Excuse me. I'm one of the pastors. And if this is your first time here with us, please don't make any rash judgments on us. Give us another shot next week when Chris will be back. Um, uh, this week is going to be a little bit interesting in and of the fact that some of you are going to walk out of here and you're going to be kind of encouraged and refreshed and you're gonna, it's going to be a good reminder of something you already knew. Uh, and then some of you uh, might ruin your day. And um, for that, I'm sorry. I don't take any joy in that. I don't, I don't find it to be a fun thing. Um, I'm a people pleaser at nat- by nature, and so I would prefer everybody love me. So, um, but I also know that I've wrestled with this. I've wrestled this idea to the ground. I've, I've fought with it. I've boxed with it. We've gone a few rounds. And um, I feel like this is where uh, we need to land this series. And, and it's been, <coughs> excuse me, for me, it's been a great few weeks. Um, I don't know about for you guys, but uh, for, the, for the first week, we talked about exposure and how God exposes us to free us and uh, how he corrects us as a loving father would. And he doesn't expose us to, to harm us or to do us any, any bad or any ill will, but because he wants us. He knows that um, in living in a healthy way and getting rid of those things that we keep in dark places and those, those lies that we tell ourselves, we know when he exposes those, then uh, we're free and, and that our decisions have shrapnel. And he under, God knows uh, the bad situations that are going to come out of some of our decisions. And so in the long run, him exposing us leads to our freedom and leads to him protecting us. And then the week after that, we talked about our perspective and how if our perspective is on the fact that God gave us the greatest gift we could ever receive, uh, the fact that he forgave us of our sins, that that's the greatest gift we could ever get. If our perspective stays completely focused and completely locked on that, that um, that should determine our direction and that our direction should be passionately pursuing the cross and pursuing relationship with Jesus. And then last week we talked about um, that our choices will inevitably define us. And that our choices, the choices that we make will communicate to people who we are. And, um, and that it's our call, it's God's call in our life to be a people that uh, passionately pursue him. And that people should be able to tell by our lives who we believe in and who we belong to. And this week, we're going to talk about obedience. And uh, obedience is a fun word um, for a lot of people. Just because there's two sides of that. There's either the, the people that are, I love obedience, I love obeying. And if there's a rebel in the room like me... The word obedience almost hurts to say out loud, right? Because um, we, we would prefer go against the grain and, and do things that uh, were not asked of us. And I constantly fight that tension in my life. So for those of you in here uh, that are that way, enjoy today. Um, uh, we're going to, you know, I have, this, I have this thought that a lot of times we, um, we dumb down who Jesus is and what he did. I have this idea that I've gained over time, over being in church for a while, that um, we really love the gift that Jesus offers us, but we don't really necessarily love the Jesus of the Bible and what he calls us to. I have, I have I've generated this over a lot of time in church, but I've all, honestly, I've generated it over my own life. 
that God has specifically and does specifically call me to do things that I don't always want to do because they're not comfortable. And, and in essence, I've created and we've created our own Jesus. We've created one with all the happy thoughts that provides all the warm fuzzies, right? But then when he calls us to do something, when he asks us to do something uncomfortable, leads us in a direction of doing something that doesn't suit us, we tend to push back and, and, and justify and bargain with God. Or just say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I don't feel like that's what I need to do. And we have a tough time uh, making uh, the, the connection between Jesus that died for us and Jesus that calls us to live a life for him. A lot of times we really create and mold and make Jesus into what we want him to look like. And, that's a, and that is a Jesus that would never call us to do anything uncomfortable, anything outside of what we're used to, anything that would radically shift or shape our life. We don't really believe in a Jesus that would do that because that's not comfortable, that's not fun, that's not cute, that doesn't give us the warm fuzzies. And we tend to focus in and lock in on the Jesus that we've created that'll be a God that'll come along beside us with all of our decisions that we make, no matter what they are. We want to have our life, and we want Jesus to be attached to it. But only so that we can say Jesus is attached to it. And it's my firm belief that we, have an active, that we serve an active God. That we serve a God that has called us to be a part of his kingdom, to become more like him. Every week we've had one one main theme that we've talked about, and that's that it's the will of God for the people of God to become like Christ. It's the will of God for the people of God to become like Christ. And, and I believe that statement with all my heart, but I also believe that we like the Jesus that died for us, but we're not necessarily fans of the Jesus that called us. And there's a divide there between those things a lot of times. And it's hard to reconcile them in our mind. It's hard to uh, get to a place where we're okay with that, where we are, are fully embracing the fact that it's the will of God for the people of God to become like Christ. And that means that a lot of times he's going to expose us. He's going to expose those things we keep in dark places. He's going to expose those things that keep us from being fully engaged with him. That means that a lot of times our perspective has to take a shift off of ourselves and off of what we want. And we have to be focused on the fact that God is a God that sent his son to die for us to, to take on the full wrath of God. It means that our choices have to line up with what God's called us to do. It means we have to obey. See, a lot of times we take the grace of God and we dumb it down to a door prize, I think. Imagine, uh, imagine this. This is the best illustration I could really think of. That you're walking out of Walmart. Okay, I'm walking out of Walmart. And for some reason, God disliked me enough that I had to go there. And I'm walking out of Walmart, and there's a, there's a good Samaritan standing there. There's a guy standing there. He has a $20 bill. And he hands me the $20 bill just for being me. Just for existing. That's a day changer, Right? Like, I would be really excited about that. Me and him might exchange an awkward hug. $20 to me is $20. I mean, that's a, that's a, that, that changed my day. I could have been having a bad day up to that point, and then he hands me $20 for no other reason than just because I was in the right place at the right time, and I'm going to be relatively excited about that. I'm going to be pumped about that, right? And that's just to say, if any of you want to come give me $20. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but... That was funnier, I thought. Um, everybody's like, what a jerk. So imagine this a different way, though. I'm walking out of Walmart, and there's a, there's a bus coming down where the people walk across, right? 
and it's flying. It's going as fast as it possibly can. If it hits me, I'm dead. And this very same guy, rather than giving me $20, and he sees me walking out, and I don't see the bus, and he sees the bus coming for me, and he comes and he shoves me out of the way, and he gets hit by the bus. He dies. And he gives his life so that I can have one. He gives his life so that I can continue to live. That immediately is going to change my perspective, I think. That's not a day changer, that's a life changer, right? Someone who thought enough of me, that they didn't even know me, thought enough of me to push me out of the way and, and, and end up costing themselves their own life. They gave me the gift of time. They gave, it would just change my perspective in a huge way. I would probably relook at everything in my life. How do I value my time? How do I use it? I mean, what would need to change? Because I would want to live in such a way that honored the sacrifice that was given to me. I would want to live in such a way that honored the man who gave his life for me, even though he didn't know me. See, a lot of times we treat the grace of God like a $20 bill that was given to us, when, and it's a day changer, it's great for a little while, but in reality it should be a life changer because someone paid a price for us. The grace, the grace of God extended, but Jesus had to put on the full wrath of God. He had to take on the full wrath of God. That should mean something to us beyond show up, go home. See, I think the church today, global church, has developed somewhat of a consumeristic mindset. And I'm okay with that to an extent, to be honest with you, because I understand that churches, people have walked away from churches hurt and, and, and they've been done wrong. Or people have never given church the first chance anyway because of the things they've heard. And so I'm all about looking at how we do church and, and changing and, and doing it in a new and creative way so that we can uh, give people a safe place to come and engage with God. I believe in that wholeheartedly. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about one church. But at times, one of the downfalls of that can be that we create this consumeristic outlook. Where it's about feed me, feed me, feed me, give me, give me, give me, I want, I want, I want. And we never stop and pause and ask ourselves, what's our life supposed to look like? We want what's comfortable and and nice and good. We never go beyond that and discover what God's asking of us and what he wants our life to look like. And to be honest with you, that's something I struggle with in my own life. We live in a consumeristic world. I mean, we we want it, we can have it. If we can't just have it right now, we can work for it and we can get it and we can earn it. But the reality is, is that over time, we treat the grace of God that saved us, that kept us from experiencing a great amount of pain and an eternity apart from God. We treat it like a $20 bill that someone gave us on the way out the door. When in reality, it should radically shift and change the way we live our life so that we can honor the person that gave theirs for us. That's the thing I want to dive in today, dive into today, is what's God really calling us to do? What's he really want our lives to look like? You know, we, we had this wall 
And uh, this, we built this little box. And the first week I started out in it, talking about the fact that every, uh, every day it seems like we inadvertently put up walls between us and God. We allow things that shouldn't be in front of God to be in front of God, above God. We allow uh, bad things that are, you know, that are obvious, the drugs and sex and alcohol and pornography and all that stuff. And then there's the things that are good that, that Satan manipulates and the enemy manipulates because he's creative that way. And he turns a good thing into a bad thing and it becomes an idol. And it's above God. And, and, and over time, we just build up these barriers between us and God. And so I wanted to create this box and, and eventually help us understand how we can break through the creative name I came up with for the series break anyway. <laughs> but I think that for us to break through and really start to discover what God wants for us, we've got to obey. We've got to stop looking at Jesus as a character that we drag along in our life. And we've got to start to understand that he should be who shapes our life. We've got to stop looking at Jesus as someone that we acknowledge that exists and that's all we need to do. But it needs to be someone that radically shapes our life. We need to base the decisions we make on does it line up with what Jesus would have us do. See, a lot of times in life, God, literally, he's an active God that calls us to do things and he wants us to go left. And so we start to say, no, I'm not going to go left, but I tell you what I will do. I'll go hard right as hard as I can running and, and I'll, I'll even talk about Jesus along the way. And then we wonder along the way how we get disconnected from God. We wonder along the way, how did there become this divide between us and God? Because he calls you to go left. He, he asked you to follow him. But you wanted to make a bargain. Because Jesus to a lot of us is someone who we drag along behind us. Not someone we follow. And the first step to getting rid of that notion is obedience. Every week, we've started in a, in a uh, story called, about the rich young ruler. And we've used that as a launching pad to take us somewhere else. And we're going to do that again. So for those of you who are really tired of that story, sorry. Hopefully you've about got it memorized by now. But we've talked about this rich young ruler. And to be honest, if I'm honest with you, the reason that this story captivates me, the reason that I want to talk about this story so much is because the rich young ruler reminds me a lot of me. Because the reality is, is that I should be able to stand up here and say that if, if Jesus asked anything of me, I would immediately say yes and go. And I'm a great Christian. You know, I would love to cheerlead and, you know, lead a pep rally and say, I'll do anything. But the reality is I've got my own barriers. And that I'm just as prompt when Jesus comes to me and says that one thing. I'm just as likely to say, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And that's hard to admit. It's dangerous to admit. But it's the reality. And as we move forward today, you're going to have to be honest with yourself about do you have a little bit of the rich young ruler in your life? Because I truly believe we all do. All right, we're going to go to Mark Mark 10, verse 17. For the last time for a while, we're going to read. Oh, no. 
all of it. Hopefully. Awkward silence, sorry. (laughs) As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. Father, mother, excuse me. Teach, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go, sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it? For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said it again. Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Then uh, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. We're going we're gonna to lock in just for a couple minutes on those last couple of verses. Because Jesus does a, a really interesting thing there where he paints a picture of good things, right? Brothers and sisters and, and, and family and, and all this stuff and houses. And he starts to paint a picture of what's good, right? And he starts to talk about some good things. And then he goes and then he drops a bomb on him right after he just hits all those things. And he says, and you'll get persecuted. And the, the, whole, the whole idea of that really reminds me of one thing. And that generally is that a lot of times we forget that our goodness is not always the same as God's goodness. Right? Well, what our version of good is and what God's version of good is don't always compete. There's quite the divide at times. Because we, a lot of times, want to think that we've got this American dream and, and we're going to get married and we're going to have 2.5 kids and they're going to play soccer and, and it's going, we're going to have great Thanksgivings and whatever. <clears throat> and, and we all start to have this idea of what our life should look like and what it should be. And we don't filter that through what God's calling us to do and asking of us. We just have our dream and we're going to go for it. And that's how everybody's supposed to live. And that's what everybody's supposed to do. And Jesus drops a bomb right here on him. And he just says, yeah, there's just all this good stuff. But persecution is going to come too. And there's this idea that maybe persecution isn't always a bad thing for us. Maybe God can use some of that stuff where we do stand up and we, we pay a price for it. He can use some of that stuff to get us back on focus and back on point with him. 
See, our idea is that God's goodness should be ours. And that's natural. We're humans. We think there's good and there's bad and there's no black and white and it just is what it is. But in God's kingdom, it looks a little bit different because he's not concerned with you. He's concerned with bringing himself glory. And so that gets a little complicated for us at times. Because it completely shatters our idea of what we want to be and what we want and what we want to attain and what's supposed to happen. But we serve an active God that calls us to obey. There's a girl I saw that was at this, I was at a conference a couple weeks ago. Her name is Katie. And when she was 18, she left uh, Brentwood. She left the comfortable home she was in and she went to Africa to teach for a year. And she loved it over there, radically changed her life, but she promised her dad she would come back, and she came back, and she stayed for a minute, and she just couldn't get it out of her. She knew God had called her, and so she went back. Girl's like 19 or 20 years old. She has an incredible story, but she feeds hundreds of kids every day. She has, it's like 10 or 12, or it's a ridiculous number, of adopted little girls that she's adopted and she raises and she takes care of. She's done more for the kingdom than most of us can possibly even process, right? And what I don't want you to hear me say in this is that God's goodness for you is that you go home, you sell everything, you go to another country, and then God will be pleased with you. You know what I'm saying is, is that she allowed Jesus to shape her life. She didn't bring Jesus along so she could shape her own. And so she understands a thing, a very intrinsic thing that we sometimes forget. And that's that God calls us to do something and to obey him and to follow him. And that his grace should radically impact our life. And our obedience to him is required. It's not suggested. It's required. And for some of you, that... You're either going to walk out of here and you're going to go, he's an idiot, I don't care what he has to say. I'm already doing that. Or you are going to have to have a battle for the next several weeks about what that looks like for you. Because obedient, our obedience is required. And God's goodness and our goodness at a lot of times aren't always the same. Because we have us in mind first. And God has himself getting glory in mind first. And we've got to shift our thinking over to that and obey what he calls us to do and do what he leads us towards and be a part of the things he calls us to be a part of and not just live a life where we just go and go and go and hope for the best. Our obedience is required and the gift that was paid for us should radically impact our life. It's not a door prize that we won. It's a gift that we'll never comprehend that we were given. So we're going to launch off of that and we're going to go into 1 John. It's towards the end of the Bible. 1 John, not John, 1 John. And we're going to look, and I think in this set of verses, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I think the perfect picture of what's asked of us is painted. And I think that the perfect picture of what God wants from our lives is painted. And then we're going to, I mean, really, I should just read this and get down because it says it better than... I ever could, but I'm not built that way, so I'll talk about it anyway. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, 
We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. We're going to read a little bit more, but I just want to stop right there because those verses are paint a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. Because really, when he took on the full wrath of God, he took on the wrath that God had for us. And so he's saying right there, he's saying, we have an advocate. We have someone who intercedes on our behalf, who battles for us, who fight, that has already paid the sacrifice, that when the wrath of God should come on down on us, he steps in and he reminds, hey, I already paid the price for them. I was the perfect, blameless, holy sacrifice. I took on all your wrath on their behalf. And he's an advocate who intercedes on our behalf. He, he steps into the gap that, was cre- that sin created, that our bad choices created. Verses 3, verse 3, excuse me. And we can be sure that we, if, that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's it. Major world problem solved right there. How do we live our lives? As Jesus did. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it just, it, and, and, and don't take this the way that you need to feel like you got to go buy some sandals and a robe and recruit 12 people to follow you around. Okay? It goes a little bit deeper than that. And if you start wearing sandals and a robe and 12 people follow you around, I may or may not make fun of you. And, and so there's, it goes a little bit deeper than just, I need to look like Jesus, but we need to love as passionately as he loved. We need to be consumed with the fact that God is who directs our path. We don't, doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're not going to achieve it, but that doesn't excuse us from trying. That doesn't excuse us from pursuing holiness and chasing after what God has called us to do. So we complicate it sometimes and we make it this big jigsaw puzzle of if everything gets perfect, then I'll do some things. But in reality, the Bible's telling us it's our job to live as Jesus did. To live as Jesus did, to love like Jesus loved, to love people like Jesus loved people, to fight for people, to pray, to be completely focused and on in pursuit of God, God's plan in our life. He was obsessed with his call to come and die for us and pay a price for us. And everything about him lived that way because he had to be a holy, blameless sacrifice on our behalf. And everything about him was obsessed with that. And this is what the writer's saying. You got to be really focused on living as Jesus did. Not living as you want and then hoping it'll all work out, but living as Jesus did. It's obedience. And sometimes we overcomplicate it to the point that we never do anything. We pray about it. We process it. We talk about it. We think about it. We unpack it. Whatever word you want to use. We're all guilty of putting God off so we don't ever actually have to do what he's asked of us. I think about this in context of being a parent. I have four kids. And if I walked into one of my children's rooms and I said, hey, 
and it was dirty, like it probably is right now. And I said, hey, clean up your room, please. I wouldn't say please to them, but I wanted it to sound better for you guys. Um, and, and I said, clean up your room. And, and they look at me and they go, you know, Dad, I'm going to think about that. There's going to straight up be some violence in the Millard home. Right then, I'm going to slap them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you misunderstood me. That wasn't a request. And a lot of times we treat God the same way. Like, okay, God, I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to check some deets. I'm going to look at my calendar. I'm going to decide if I want to quit doing what I'm doing. I'll get back to you on that. And luckily, God isn't human like me, and he won't smack us. But that doesn't change that obedience is required. Obedience is required. Last week, if you were here... We had some pieces of drywall up at the front. We leaned them up against the stage and we passed out some sticky notes and we were talking about what defines us that shouldn't. What defines us that shouldn't define us. Because what should define us is our pursuit of Jesus and our pursuit of, of his plan for our life. And you guys did a great job writing down on sticky notes some things that, that defines you. And I took some of those and I put them on this piece of, a piece of cardboard. Or this piece of cardboard, this piece of drywall, excuse me. Because I wanted it to be a visual representation of the fact that Jesus, that we do have things that get in the way of us and God. Over the period of our life, we inadvertently start to build up barriers between us. It's not like we set in and we go and we stand in a spot and we say to ourselves, I really just want to build a wall around myself. I want to keep myself from experiencing what God wants me to experience. I want to keep myself from obeying Him. I want to keep myself from pursuing Him. It's not like generally that we sit and we think that idea. But over time, we start to just make little compromises. We start to think to ourselves, you know, I don't really want to do that. That's not what I think God's really calling me to do. I want to think about that. And a lot of times we think about it as these really terrible things. You know, drugs, sex, alcohol, pornography. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. But it can be good things. There's some of you in here that are fantastic mothers and fathers. To the point where your role as a mother and a father has superseded God's role. And it's, and it's an idol that you have that's in the way. Of you and God. Some of you have, you're, you're, you're obsessed with your friends. And you're the best friend you can possibly be. But you find all your self-worth and all of who you are in being a friend. And this become an idol to you that's above where God should be in your life. And we, we start to make it this super spiritual experience. When we, when, when we start to overthink it and we start to think, you know, eventually... I'm just going to stand here long enough and I'm going to pray long enough and I'm going to pray enough and I'm going to live however I want to and eventually God will come in and he will break down the walls and, and I'll just be sitting here praying one day or I'll have my hands up during worship and they'll all just collapse and it'll be the greatest thing ever. When in reality, God is saying, I've given you everything I have to give you. I've given you forgiveness and an eternal life. And you need to obey me. Uh-oh. And we just have to start to break through the wall 
by making the choice to obey God. I'm okay. It's sometimes we overcomplicate and we think that God will provide us with this super incredibly spiritual event. It's kind of creepy with me preaching with a hammer. And we start to think that if we just stand still, we can do the right things, we can make the right things happen, and the glory of God will drop down and the walls will fall. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. God is totally capable of that. But obedience in our everyday life, obedience in the way we live, obedience in the things we do, it means that we take a hammer, we take our feet, we take our fist, we take our head, we take whatever, and we become obsessed with making sure that there's no barriers between us and God. We don't stand there waiting and hoping for something magical to happen, but we know that God has called us to live a life that looks like Christ. And so we start to break down our own walls. We take a hammer to them. We use whatever tool necessary to break through and to go and to be completely obsessed with pursuing God and obeying what he has for our lives and doing the things he's called us to do. We'll use the excuse for the rest of our lives that if we just stand here, eventually God will intervene. And we use it as an excuse to be motionless. And to live a life of show up, go home, and check off the box. And God's called us to live a life that looks like Jesus. Jesus' purpose was to die for us to pay our penalty and to give us a roadmap of how to live. And we forget that second part sometimes because it's not as fun, it's not as cute, and it doesn't always feel as good. But the reality is, obedience is required. Obedience is required. And we can stand in the box for the rest of our lives. Or we can take a hammer to it, take our feet to it, take whatever we can find to it, and break it down so that the barriers between us and God are eliminated. And we can focus in on pursuing Him and obeying Him and doing the things He's asked of us and following the path that He's called us to. But it's a choice to obey. And you can stand in that box for the rest of your life. Or you can get proactive. And you can believe that Jesus has called you to live as he did. And you don't have to treat his grace as a door prize anymore. Something you have accidentally won because you're in the right place at the right time. But as someone who paid a price for you so that you could have life and have it eternally and have a relationship with God. Those thoughts should radically impact your life and the way you approach it. We're not dragging Jesus behind us and hoping he's okay with us. But we're putting him in front of us and following him. And filtering everything that happens in our life through our call and through being obedient. It's the will of God for the people of God to become like Christ. And that means that we have to be okay with allowing God to expose us for who we really are so that he can make us more like him. We have to shift our, shift our perspective off of ourselves and realize that Jesus is the greatest, he gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given when he forgave us of our sins and, get, and gave us an eternal pardon. We have to make the right choices that will define us and be obsessed with the choices of pursuing God so that we're known for pursuing God. 
And we have to obey when God calls us to do ridiculous, just ridiculous, stupid stuff that doesn't make any sense. When he asks us to give in a crazy way of our time. When he asks us to do something that's going to completely reshape and reframe our life. When he drops that bomb in on our nice little situation. Because he's not worried about you getting the glory. He's worried about him getting the glory. And it's the will of God for the people of God to become like Christ. And when we get in, let our weakness, we allow our weakness and allow him to work through that so he can be made big. That's when we're starting to understand the concept of it's the will of God for the people of God to become like Christ. Don't stand in your box forever hoping that something magical will happen. Take a hammer to it. Take your fist to it. Break it down. Become obsessed with breaking through so that you can pursue God. Obedience is required. Let's pray.